Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is the filmmaker, producer and director Jens Muir. This guy is famous for producing films like Filth, which is an absolute masterpiece, Rush and many more. But we get to sit down and talk about his brand new documentary, An Impossible Project. This is all about admiring the love of the analogue past, how it's been revived, how we're trying to get instant photography to come back, and now that we're in a way of an overwhelming kind of digital world. It's a fascinating documentary. I loved it from start to finish. And to know that I get to sit down and talk with Jens, talk a lot more about this documentary, about filmmaking, how he got inspired into actually becoming a filmmaker, and much more is honestly a real inspiring story and I can't wait for you guys to listen to the interview in only a few moments time. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, let's touch base and talk about episode 128. It followed my series of The Voice Behind the Art and I was joined by the absolutely awesome Matt Ryan Tobin. I've seen people now going and checking out his art, tweeting, facebooking, instagramming and talking about how much they didn't realise that some of the art they had on Blu-rays or in books was Matt's and how much they've loved his work and have gone on and actually purchased some of his work or followed him on Instagram and checked out his work on his website. So please keep checking out his work, he is one of the best artists in the game and an absolute awesome guy. But let's get back into today's episode. As I said, we get to talk all about this amazing documentary, An Impossible Project. It's brilliant. I wish I could go and see it in the cinema. Because of COVID, I can't. But the talk with Jens is really interesting. And for anyone that's interested in making films or documentaries, I think you're going to be blown away. So let's get to it. Here's me and Jens talking all things film. So Jens, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Hi Mark, good morning. What I wanted to do today is start by kind of getting an idea of how you got into the film industry or what it was that got your interest at the start that made you either fall in love with documentaries and film and cinema or was it was it forced upon you at school or college or how did it all come about for you? It was forced upon me by my grandfather. Um, he was an avid Super 8 filmmaker Wow! as a hobby. So, you, I mean, I'm German. You have to imagine the German Christmas, the Christmas tree and all that. But in our yeah. case, when we we're all getting ready to sing Silent Night, he'd suddenly turn on the Klieg lights and film us in like glaring bright lights, pretending that we're singing Silent Night because it's, it's silent, of course. So yeah. somehow... That bug bit, and um, for a while I thought I'd become a journalist and you know have a decent profession. Then figured that journalism probably isn't going to be a decent profession anymore, and so I started making documentaries. My first one was in Harlem, in New York, and the second one took me to the Soviet Union for three or four years. So when you were having these Super 8 cameras by your granddad put in front of you, were you then wanting to go and study film or was it a case of just wanting to know more about how you got that image on then to an actual screen? Because that's what fascinated me as a child. I couldn't believe that I was seeing these things inside a TV. That's at my young age and the way my brain processed. But I was infatuated by film from a really young age just because it took me to a place that I only ever dreamed of. I couldn't believe that these things were happening. 
Well, I think in my case, it was this, the, the documenting part of it. Yeah. Initially, the family, this idea that you, you point a camera at something or someone, and, and then they're in that piece of film, which is, yeah. you know, when I started, it was film and, and maybe a little bit of early video. These days, it's all video. But I think um, I interviewed Wim Wenders once for 100 years of Ari, Wow. The pioneer of video filmmaking. Yeah. He said that, well, he always thought um, digital and video would um, bring democracy to filmmaking because it's cheaper and everyone can make a film. He said, hmm, he's now thinking back, saying, yeah, that's true. And everyone's making cat videos. And the real storytellers aren't, you know, find it hard to be heard in this cacophony. And there is something really unique about recording something onto film you know, back then Super 8 with my granddad, because when you hold that negative, the lights that reflected off somebody's face or an object is actually physically in that piece of film. And that fascinates me, that idea of recording, of documenting. All the other bits too, of course, you can tell stories and it doesn't yeah. have to be chemical film. But yeah, that's, that's my beginnings, I think. With the way as well, the way I think at the moment with streaming services, there's a lot more documentaries that are doing well. Like, you know, I remember 10, 15 years ago, it always happened to be buying them on DVD and Blu-ray. But everyone is really obsessed with watching these documentaries now. Um, you get to see a lot more people investing their time in binge watching, you know, in these big, big series. Is that something you do and that you've been a fan of when you've been growing up? Have you been getting indulged in these things? Well, I think my real trigger for making films as a professional was Alan Parker with films like Fame and Midnight Express, so hardly yes. documentaries. Yeah. Um, what we found lately, and you know, I've been making documentaries but producing feature films, fiction films in, in, in my career. What, what, what we found lately is really enjoyed going to see documentaries in cinemas, actually. Yeah. Not at the moment. Ah. But um, this idea of sitting in a, in a dark room and really focusing, and even if it's not the greatest film, yeah. um, uh, really engaging with this real-life story that you're being told. And, and so that was a real kick for me that isn't exactly the same as watching them on platforms. And, um, yeah, the platforms, I'm dying to go and sit in the cinema again. And it doesn't matter so much what it is, to be honest. Just yeah. this... It's not just, you know, go to the cinema or popcorn or something like that. There's different kind of concentration and focus, easy concentration, because you're in a room with other people. You can't talk. There's no pause button when you go to the cinema. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a blessing. It's a liberation. It's not long, though. They reckon it's only a couple of months now, and we should be able to go back and be in our place of safety, and we can then enjoy and indulge these amazing visuals again on the proper way that we should be seeing them. Can't wait. Yeah, just counting down the days. And if anyone today hasn't heard of you and they're going on to IMDb or they're reading on Wikipedia, they'll see quite a lot of big films attached to you that you've produced. So you've got to work with one of my favourites out there, Filth, which is a film that we did on our other podcast and reviewed. What was it like getting involved in this project and seeing people like James McAvoy and Irvin Welsh, who, in my opinion, is one of the best writers out there? Well, it's a, it's, it's, it's a privilege. And I mean, you were mentioning one that was actually really quite a lot of fun as well. Yeah. I mean, that combination of John Baird and, and Irvin and James, and it was my second film with James, so we already knew one another. I think it's just about his finest performance in film. 
I agree. And, uh, you know, to have a chance to hang out quite a lot with Irvin, because there was a follow-on project that has not been made yet, which is Irvin Welch's Ivanhoe. Can you see that? Um, so, you know, those are, those are the reasons for being a filmmaker. And, um, I mean, filth is a really creative and wacky and fun and, but also beautifully made film, shot on film, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely one to notch up as in, yeah, good memories. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet that'd be a dream to come back and work with those guys. Because I think there's nothing like that film. You try and describe it to someone until you see it. You're like, okay, now I understand why I needed to see that film. It's just like nothing else. It's crazy. And you also got to work on a film that's one of my favourites is Rush. Um, and obviously this is a huge film that many people absolutely loved. And it got some really good recognition, especially along the festival circuits when it first came out. And again, you must be really proud to look back and have worked with such a great cast and people in that production. Well, it'll be no news to you that Ron Howard is the single nicest and super talented and just gentlemanly person in, in the world, and definitely in the film business. Wow. So, um, yeah. I mean, that was, you know, we're talking about analog and so on. This was like a super digital film and pushing yeah. the envelope in whichever way it could be pushed. Actually, Ron's first uh, digital film um, and I had the pleasure of working with Anthony Mantle years before on a standard documentary. So this had really come a long way. Um, um, but I think it was also Ron's like first ever proper independent film where we had to go and see the German film funders and photo opportunity and that sort of stuff. And like, we're going to have to spend three days filming this region called Baden-Württemberg, which is one of the best scenes in the film now because we have to have local spend. And he was going like, explain this to me, Jens. And uh, he was so good about it. So, and, and a very watchable film, I think. And obviously now you've returned back to directing and we're promoting an impossible project. Um, anyone that's listening today, hopefully when this episode goes out, it will be available to stream on all the platforms I and mean, they can get hold of it through that. But for anyone listening, can you kind of give an idea about spoiling it really why this came about and what it was that you wanted to get into this document? Well, actually, it did come about because of Rush. Yeah. Um, I was introduced to the hero, the Don Quixote of um, An Impossible Project at the same time as I was working on Rush. And I, you know, I met Nicky Lauda quite a few times, who is a charismatic and totally crazy and wonderful Austrian. And so is um, Doc Caps, the central protagonist in An Impossible Project. And they're both visionary people, Austrian, with a great accent and sense of humor, who are trying to, you know, not be told that something is not possible. And um, so when I met Doc, who's the guy uh, who saved the last Polaroid factory in the world, just in the same year that the iPhone, the first one came out, and everyone was like going crazy over digital, it's going to be so good. And here's somebody who said, whoa, 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 slow down. Maybe, you know, Humans are analog. We have five senses, not just hearing and seeing the digital ones. Uh, we want to smell stuff and touch stuff and so on. And I'm going to save this last Polaroid factory that Polaroid themselves have given up for dead, um, probably for good reason, because everything's becoming digital. Now, Doc had like really zero qualification for this because he's a biologist specializing in the muscles of spider eyes. Um, and I mean, totally unlikely story, a totally unlikely person to go out there and save this analog icon. 
But in the end, with lots and lots of uh, catastrophes on the way, he and a team of people that he worked with did it. So I fell in love, um, not so much with the story of chemical film Polaroid, which, yeah, it's great. I really like the idea of sort of stemming the tide and, and resisting of somebody standing up to the inevitable because he believes that there's something better or something equally good that needs to be protected. And I think that's, you know, 15 years later, when the Facebooks and the Amazons are ruling our lives and world, uh, he was right. And there is a real need to um, defend tangible and real things in the world of alternative facts and fake news. And so it was more his mindsets that triggered me to make the film. And uh, But of course, it was clear that I can't make a film about somebody saving the last Polaroid factory shooting on some kind of digital format. So yeah. that had to be done. <laughs> Quite a hypocrite, which proved to be, you know, nearly its own impossible project. Um, and my partners at Ari, the legendary post-production and camera company, said, if you do this, you know, in the year 2014 or so when we started, don't do it on Super 16. Do it on 35 millimeter film, because not because it's better than digital, but it's sufficiently its own thing to stand out. And that's how the whole thing began. And then. We tried to follow the story, keeping up with our bank balance and the story developing. Was it a real challenge trying to keep track and obviously keep all this within a certain budget that had been agreed? Because obviously with documentaries, they can be extended or they can take a twist while you're watching them. I mean, a lot of the ones I watch, they'll always twist and there's something that they weren't expecting. And then, it, you know, it can go off in a completely different direction as they're discovering more and more stuff. Or did you have a really kind of strict policy of how it was going to come about and how it was going to be produced <laughs> no 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 strict policy at all there was no budget to begin with it was just like uh, oh i think this would be interesting to do and i didn't not want to do it i just felt oh i want to go with this guy and see what happens so um you know when the story expanded they expanded into the u.s uh, so we had to do some filming over there so it was a question of where do we find film cameras yeah. And now everyone is shooting on film again. But five years ago, six years ago, when this took place, it was you had to find the one camera shop that, you know, also for a little money supported us in doing it. So it was a very bit by bit process. And uh, spoiler alert, or I won't give it away, that in the middle of all this, Doc, who single handedly almost became Polaroid, um, suffered a bit of a bit. A setback is an understatement and that really also meant that the film took a different turn. And one of the things I think that makes this quite unique is using the live orchestra to score this. I studied actually music at university and I had to try and translate and transcribe for orchestra and it was a lot of work and a real kind of oh my lord and it's I probably bit off more than I could chew. Was this your decision yourself or was it something that you discussed with somebody else to have this as part of the documentary? No, that was my um, slightly crazy brainchild. I just loved the idea of, as people will see in the film, it, it, this this dinner party coming together in this crazy Wes Anderson type hotel, but for real, that stood empty for 43 years. And the owners keep it going, but they said the last guest checked out 43 years ago. <laughs> and um, to use that venue, um, not just to have this 
dinner party at the end that my hero was always hoping to have, but to use it to just put a big orchestra in there and have them play and record live to, to vinyl disc um, the score for the film and film them while they're doing it and do it all with candlelight. The, the fact you're recording it straight to vinyl and that is great. And I think it's really nice at the moment that vinyl is outselling CDs and it's come back and had this resurgence. And I've seen a lot of people, I myself, are buying a lot of my favourite albums and scores on vinyl again. But it, as much as the world's going digital and you've mentioned social media and Facebook and everyone else being obsessed with mobile phones, with digital cameras, it is nice that people are still nostalgic and wanting to go back to at least vinyl for now. Well... Personally, I don't really like the word nostalgic about it very much. Um, you know, I might be nostalgic because I'm of a certain age, but I think most customers who buy vinyl and so on are young. It's not nostalgia. It's a kind of a rediscovery yep. of a technology and also a mindset that, uh, that I think is futuristic. You know, the idea yeah. to not be completely dominated by tech is a very modern one. Um, you know, the idea to be attached to your eye smartphone for 12 hours a day that should be nostalgia because it's not really very healthy and not not very happy this inducing so i think to come back to physical film or vinyl or any of these things is actually a, it's kind of a, an act of discovery and liberation that is forward pointing not not nostalgia this is you know my film is not for dare i say it bearded record collectors <laughs> As we're both sitting here with our beards. <laughs> and what I ask a lot of guests that come on the podcast is advice on anyone that's listening that wants to be a director or wants to be like yourself and produce and get into the industry. What advice do you give them? And a lot of the people that I've interviewed, so directors like Neil Blomkamp, Neil Marshall, Kevin Smith, are all saying, well, you can make a film now easily because you've got your phone with you that's got a 4K camera. You've got the internet to stream and put on Instagram or YouTube, these things and get seen. But I don't think your answer will be the same because you're not on the same wavelength or thought process of wanting to do that sort of stuff. You, you seem to obviously want to give it the credit and respect it deserves for film. So would you go about it differently as your advice to these people? No, my, my advice would be different in a different way, not what you're alluding to, because you're kind of putting me into the wrong drawer. I am a digital pioneer. I mean, I did produce a film called Russian Ark, which of was course. just about the first digital film that really did yeah. any business worldwide in art house film kind of manner. And for which we, because it's a film that is shot entirely in one uninterrupted take, we literally had to invent a recording system that would do this in a portable manner, which in 2001, you know, was really something new. So, so I'm not, against digital and I totally agree that you can take your iPhone or whatever and, and make a film. Um, but you could do that before as well. There's so many people like Spielberg, famously yeah. I think Scorsese as well, who used Super 8 to tell their film stories. So, you know, that's not really new, but it's definitely what I would say as well, just go and make a film. It's more about, I think my advice would be is also to consider who you make it with and how much love and care you put into making it um so you know anyone that's the Ben Bender's thing anyone can film their cat and that's a film and you can have two cuts in it it's like an amazing film <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's it's also you know who you're doing it with like one 
piece of advice would be that doesn't work right now, you know, go visit bars as much as possible and talk to people who are also making films and, um, and kind of build a network because it's not just a question of making one film and then it'll all happen. It's no. a question of growing into ultimately, you know, being part of an industry or of a community. So do stuff together and find people to do it with in the different capacities. You know, for example, an impossible project um, was shot by two DOPs with whom I've worked for, you know, many, many years. And, and one, Bernd Fischer, worked on Russian art, but he's also doing that, season, that German series Babylon Berlin uh, at the moment. And, um, you know, we work shooting on film there. He works digitally. Uh, it's the relationships that are the constant, not the technology. That's a fair point. And what we do on this podcast to make it quite original is we ask the person that's been on as a guest to choose the outro music. So you can choose any piece of music, any song, any performance by a band, whatever is the first one that comes to your head becomes the outro music. So it makes it original. Now I am going to put you on the spot, but what's a song that means a lot to you or a piece of music that you think would make the ideal outro music for today's interview? If I give you too long to think about it, you'll probably whistle it down to 10. And then in the middle of the night, you'll wake up and think, oh, I should have chose this song or I should have chose that. But is there a song that means a lot to you that when I ask the question kind of comes straight to your mind and you think that's a song that means hell of a lot to me or is personal to you? Well, I'm going to whittle it down to three. <laughs> You've mentioned, you know, for me, it was extraordinary meeting Hayley Reinhardt, an American singer who, talking about digital for an impossible project, I met over the internet yeah thing just a week before that final scene in the film where she sings no regrets the edit pf song yeah um uh, live without rehearsals or anything and it's I mean, I mean it's just an amazing performance um and i think her own song which is also in the film i don't know how to love you for the only time ever performed with a 40-piece jazz orchestra that's a good one that's kind um, of um, the second one is one that no one's heard yet. It's also an American singer. Her name is Alison Young. And she has the um, final song in my next film, which is a very British film. It's a comedy about Brexit and an homage to the last, uh, the world's last end of the pier theatre, which is in Cromer in North Norfolk. Oh, wow. And what else could that be but um, her rendition of We Shall Meet Again? And it's fantastic. And it includes a dog barking at the end. Wow. Uh, you can get it on YouTube. That's a cool one. And one of the songs, I mean, you know, of course, there are hundreds that mean something. One I really love is also English. Uh, is uh, It doesn't make it all right, but the specials. That's oh, a song okay. that means a lot to me. I grew up in South Africa, partially. Yeah. And that's a song that stuck. Okay, well, I'll listen to all three and I'll kind of go with what I think, but they all sound really good. And I'm going to be like, oh, God, which one do I do now? But we'll, we'll get <laughs> one. And during, obviously, lockdown right now, when things aren't easy and we're in a situation where we can't go out and live normal lives and do things, has this given you an opportunity to get into projects that maybe you put on the shelf for a while or you haven't got the time to do and now you can commit to? Or you've just mentioned there you've got something else coming out. I mean... How's it been for you? Have you been able to get some more projects off the ground or has it been quite a sort of stumbling block? I think it's been a bit of a stumbling block and I really missed with a film like An Impossible Project, which had its actual world premiere just before the virus hit, the pandemic hit us all. Yeah. You know, that's a film to be, it has a 35 millimeter print, which I hope will be shown in the UK 
when it's possible again, at least in a few one-off screenings. Um, it's all about seeing it in a, in a room full of people. So being unable to do that and attending film festivals digitally, put it politely, it's not the same thing. And yeah. uh, I'm really missing that interaction. Of course, here we are on on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> and if anyone listens to this, do watch the film digitally anyway. Yes, um, of course. Yeah, that that's, that's kind of slowed me down and it didn't really lead to a oh, fantastic now to think I have time to think of the next few projects I did work on the next one but that's also a film shot on film and it's also waiting to be um, released into at least some cinemas um, beyond that you know mustn't grumble right you know we're all still here hopefully the damn thing's over soon <laughs> yeah and, no uh, I, I you know like I can't travel to the UK and and, and show even protagonists of my new film called Seaside Special, by the way, yeah. how it turned out. I, I, I'm kind of getting a little bit impatient here. But still, mustn't grumble, mustn't grumble. Well, I really appreciate your time today. I'm sure you've got more press to do, but I just wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to speak to you, and I'm um, hoping that a lot of people, because obviously over in the UK, it's going to be released on the 15th of March, so there'll be a lot of people that will have the access to then watch it digitally. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what people's responses are praise so far that i've seen for it on the internet for people that have seen it obviously on imdb it's all been very strong you've got a hell of a lot of good five stars and 10 out of 10 ratings on rotten tomatoes so i'm really really proud and i can't wait to see what the public are going to be saying once they get the chance to see this in the comfort of their own homes as the world is a bit crazy at the moment yeah same here but i so wish that i could you know walk outside the 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 actual cinema and have a drink in the foyer with people and talk about it but so um we our look look at this our office is is right on a big uh thoroughfare in berlin and we yeah. have um well there's the qr code to the trailer in our window and we encourage people to send us a postcard when they've seen the film which we'll put up in the window oh amazing a okay. postcard remember those wow those things yeah we have to buy a stamp and everything yeah let's do it well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again for your time. Uh, it really does mean a lot. And um, I'm hopefully we'll cross our paths again and one day be able to go to the cinema and I'll see you in a foyer and in London when we've got the cinemas back open. I'm sure we'll meet again and it would be a pleasure to have a drink with you and talk about the future. Yeah, I'm so desperate for it. I'll buy everyone a drink. <laughs> Don't say that because then people will quote you on this podcast and you'll end up having like a bar bill of about £2,000. But yeah. <laughs> So there it is, there's my interview with me and Jens. What an interesting guy from start to finish. He's such an inspiration. He's kind of, I've listened back to this interview now when I've edited it and I thought, I wanna go and get myself a Super 8 camera and become a documentary maker because it really inspired me and opened my eyes up to just how interesting his world is and how he's become such a great documentary maker, filmmaker, a producer. He's been there and done it all. He's had recognition from the Oscars, from all of the different award ceremonies, and it's such an inspiring story. So as I said at the start, go and check out this documentary. It's streaming on all the channels. You can purchase it, an impossible project. Let me know what you think of it. Honestly, I think you're absolutely going to love it. A huge thank you to Jens for coming on the podcast, giving me your time and sharing all these stories with me. It was an absolute delight to have you on. As always, guys, if you're tuning in to Mark and Me and you want to support me, I do have a website, Mark and Me. 
on there you can go on there and literally look at all my instagram my facebook and my twitter i say it every time if you can't support me on patreon but you want to support me it costs nothing to share the episodes you can do this on facebook twitter and instagram it really is just a touch of a button and makes a huge difference i see all the retweets all the sharing on facebook all the sort of stories on instagram it makes a massive difference so thank you for everyone that takes the time to share the episodes and if you really want to go that extra mile and support me i have a patreon page i've been sharing loads of pictures recently of people that have been winning some incredible posters from vice press some jurassic park prints that are amazing Shaun of the dead and i try and tie it in with the guests that i've had on I also offer DVDs, Blu-rays, t-shirts, merchandise that you can't buy that's related to the guests and much more. And a massive thank you to Vice Press for supplying me with some incredible prizes and we'll continue working together and bringing you guys the best posters out there. I'll be back in only a few days time. It's absolutely manic as ever with a brand new episode. I'm so, so looking forward to the month ahead. In March alone, I released 10 episodes. It's absolutely crazy at the moment, and I'm not going to slow down anytime soon. Thanks for listening today. Enjoy your few days ahead, and I'll be back then with a brand new episode. Take care, everyone.
It doesn't make it alright 